Hey guys, this is Danny J from the Keep On Tolkien podcast. This is Joel N. And we're here to tell you about a little thing we're doing for the holidays uh, called The Gift of Tolkien. Hashtag The Gift of Tolkien. And uh, it's a little thing um, that uh, we want to encourage you guys to give Tolkien books as gifts to people. Because uh, I was given The Hobbit as a gift uh, from my friend Sam and it changed my life, and obviously I wouldn't have a fucking Tolkien podcast if this were the case. Right. If you haven't realized by now, we we really love Tolkien's work, and uh, it was uh, uh, the work that we got of his were, was gifted to us most of the time. Uh, I think my first version of The Hobbit was probably from Half Price, but <laughs> I got a handful of Tolkien's work last Christmas. From uh, me, right? From you. From me. And that's what really started it all out for me. Um, that I got all sorts of stuff, and it, it really deepened my love. And if, as you know, that's what we're trying to do with this pod- podcast: is, yeah. is share the love, guys. And if you don't know, um, you know, if you love keep on Tolkien at all to any degree, um, it is because we were gifted. Like this wouldn't be a thing, guys, if not for giving Tolkien books. And we just want to kind of uh, spread that around. So if you guys hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, let us know who you gave a Tolkien book to uh, this holiday. Um, hashtag it, the gift of Tolkien. Um, and we'll talk about you in either a further episode or we'll do one of our nifty new videos. We've been yeah, doing. We'll, we'll try to do a follow-up and just kind of give, uh, well, keep track of, of what was going on, see how successful we were in right. our gift of Tolkien this year. This is our first year we're trying to do this. Maybe next year we'll try to turn it into even like a fundraiser type thing. But Right, yeah, but... Um, so yeah, give a kid the copy of The Hobbit. Uh, change his life. Right. If you have an uh, adult, give him an adult content book. Yeah, give him. If you got somebody that's read the The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, give him The Silmarillion. Man, change their life. It'll there's, change. There's everything. plenty of options out yeah, there. Plenty of options out there. Plenty of Tolkien books. Um, if you don't know somebody you could give a Tolkien book to, say you don't have any friends, that's fine. Um, just hit us up uh, or donate a uh, donate to a library or uh, uh, there's plenty of book charities out there. Right. Um, and if you can't. Think of some place to donate to. Hit us up, and we'll we'll try to help you guys and guide you to some places where you could donate some Tolkien books. Yeah. So yeah, this holiday season, guys. Whatever holiday you're celebrating, if you're celebrating with gifts, uh, first of all, happy holidays from Keep On Tolkien. Happy holidays, guys. And spread yeah. the spread the love. Spread the love. Give the gift of Tolkien. Hashtag, the gift of Tolkien. And as always, guys, keep on Tolkien. Keep on Tolkien. Right, Earendil was, then lord of the people that dwelt nigh to Syrian's mouths. And he took to wife Elwing the Fair, and she bore to him Elrond and Elros, who are called the half-elven. Yet Earendil could not rest, and his voyages about the shores of the hitherlands eased not his unquiet. Two purposes grew in his heart, blended as one, in longing for the wide sea, he sought to sail thereon, seeking after Tuor and Idril, who did, who did not return. And he thought to find, perhaps, the last shore, and bring ere he died the message of elves and men to the Valar in the west that should move their hearts to pity for the sorrows of Middle-earth. 
Hey guys, welcome back to Keep on Tolkien. This is Danny J. This is Joel N. And we're here with episode 14, talking about Eärendil, character profile. Eärendil, he's kind of the prophesized savior of elves and men. Yeah, he's kind of where it comes all together. And his, his story is the last story in the Silmarillion. So congratulations, guys. We've... Uh, Kind of covered the Quintus Silmarillion. Yeah, we've kind of covered the Quintus. We definitely didn't cover all the information in there, but we gave a brief summary of the major of, stories. Of the major stories. So major detail. If you had all loved uh, this season, um, or you're more interested in these stories, just pick up the Silmarillion. Read no, uh, look no further than the Silmarillion. It is um, one of the best books in the English language, and it'll tell you all these stories way more beautiful than Joel or I could ever tell them. I thought you were just going to stop at Joel, and I was like, well, thanks. Way, way better than Joel could ever do. <laughs> so, <laughs> don't even bother. <laughs> now, Arendil is also one of those characters that has a few different names. He's got, of course, his, his actual name, Arendil, which is a Quenya word for love of the sea. He's got the name Azrabel. I think I said that right. That's yeah, I believe that's right. That's the Adunic translation. That's Adunaic. the Adunaic. That's the language of Numenor. So he had a he had a special name for the men of Numenor. Um, then he also had the name Ardamire. 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 Quenya also for the Arda jewel. Also known as Arendil uh, the Mariner, Star of High Hope, and the Blessed. So he's. Uh, Obviously, by the names, he's a pretty prophesized character. Mm -hmm. So, as we talked about in the last episode, he is foretold by Huor's prophecy. Uh, at the uh, near Nathanordiad, he looks at Turgon and he says, "From you and I, a new star shall arise." And uh, that's Aerendil. Yeah, he was prophesizing his grandson, essentially. Um, now, at this point also, you recall after the Nirnaith that this is a point where Melkor has a pretty good hold on Beleriand. Mm -hmm. I mean, his whole goal was to kind of get out and take over the world, and he's he's almost accomplished it at this point. There are a few holdouts left, and uh, Gondolin was one of them. Uh, Doriath was one of them. And he's out to kind of get rid of them. He's trying really hard to find Gondolin. He's really bent on Gondolin specifically. Right, yeah. Because he hates the sons of Fingolfin, remember? Because Fingolfin gave him the seven wounds, and he's the only person that ever confronted Melkor directly up until this point. So he really hates the sons of Fingolfin. And uh, so Fingon is killed, and the eldest son of Fingolfin is killed in the Nirnaith, and uh, Turgon's the last standout of the line of Fingolfin. So to Erendil, um, if you'll remember from our last episode about Tuor, Erendil was born of Tuor from the house of Hador and Halif, is that right? And well, he was descendant of all three. Yeah, he was. his father was uh, Hador and Halif, and then his mother was from the house of Beador, Beor, mm -hmm. that's Idril. And he was born in the year 503 and raised in Gondolin, um, up until the point where Gondolin fell when Melkor finally attacked and they were displaced down to the area around the mouths of Syria. Mm -hmm. Where uh, <coughs> they met survivors from the fall of Doriath. And so essentially what happens uh, in the fall of Doriath is the, s the sons of Feanor uh, know 
that Dior has one of the Silmarils after Baron and Luthien pass away. And um, they're giving them an ultimative, ultimatum, uh, give up the jewel or, or, or die, essentially. And the sons of Feanor uh, end up wiping out Doriath and they kill Dior. Uh, the Silmaril is given to his daughter, Elwing, and they flee to the mouths of Sirion, where they meet up with Erendil and the refugees from Gondolin. Yeah, so now uh, in it's basically kind of Círdan's neck of the woods, along the shores in the mouths of Sirion. You've got all the refugees left from the elves and men around. I mean, all of the major kingdoms have fallen at this point. Mm-hmm. And uh, Morgoth basically runs most of Beleriand, other than this small strip along the shore. Yeah, yeah. Now, in, let's see, in about f- the year 530... Uh, Erendil married Elwing, daughter of the kingdom of Doriath, the one who had the Silmaril. And this was the third union of elves and men. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first being Baron and Luthien, the second being uh, Idril and uh, Idril Celebrindel and uh, Tuor, which was the last episode, guys. Mm -hmm. And these two were kind of uh, special in that they are both, Erendil and Elwing, they're both kind of half-elven, are they not? Erendil is the son of an elf and a man, and... Uh, yeah, they're both... El- uh, Elwing is also... Because uh, Dior is both, yeah. Yeah, from Dior, who is also elf and man. Mm-hmm. So these are some uh, pretty special folks. Yeah. And they get married. <coughs> And actually, in the same year that they get married is the year that Erendil's parents, Tuor and Idril, it's when they set sail off into the west and disappear. Right, and we never hear from them. And we never hear from them again. Um, So after that, two years after that, actually, is when they have their first set of children. Elros and... Elrond. Elrond. Who you might be familiar with, or you should be familiar with, if you uh, read uh, the Third Age stuff. If, or if anyone is listening to this Tolkien podcast and they don't know who Elrond is, you've got a bit of catching up. You've got a little bit of catching up to do. But hey, don't be discouraged, because it's all lovely, and you'll yeah. love it. But uh, yeah, Elrond is uh, is the lore master from Rivendell. Yeah, the, he's a huge age. character moving forward mm-hmm. in the Second and Third Ages. Yeah, and he's uh, one of these, these half-elven uh, sons of Eärendil. So actually, in the same in that same year that they had their children, uh, Eärendil, with the help of Círdan the shipwright, built a special ship called Vingalot, and Eärendil actually began his own voyage into the west, initially searching for his parents. And uh, so at this point, <coughs> Eärendil's out on a um, on a voyage, and lo and behold. The sons of Feanor have heard that the Silmaril has escaped to the mouths of Sirion. And they, again, they want it back. So they attack these poor refugees. Yeah, these poor refugees. <laughs> that have uh, seen so much shit at the hands of the enemy, let alone now at the hands of the sons of friggin' Feanor, the, the, some of the biggest dicks. And at this point, there's only... Um, so by the time they attack the mouths of Syria, and the only two there's uh Majros and Maglor are the only ones that survive. Uh Amrod and Amros are killed in the in the battle. Oh, all, are the rest of the sons of Feanor killed at this point? Yeah, because uh Kelogram, Kurufin, and Karenthir die at the sacking of Doriath. 
Oh, really? So yeah. a lot of them died in Doriath. So by the end of the third Kinslaying, which is when they, they kill all the Which is this most recent one. The one that we're talking about right now. By the end of this, there's only two sons of Feanor left, uh, Maedros and Meglor. We're the two oldest, right? The two eldest, yeah. Yeah. So they come and they... <laughs> the third Kinslaying and final Kinslaying, the, these few remaining sons of Feanor just fuck up the mouths of Sirion, killing people, and Elwing having the Silmaril realizes what's about to happen to mm-hmm. her. This is why they're here. This is what's going on. They're about to kill everyone and kill her sons. And in just grief, she throws herself into with the, the ocean. With the Silmaril into the sea. Into the sea. Where um, she is, one of the great uh, miracles of Ulmo happens. Yeah. And she's taken up by Ulmo, and she's transformed into the likeness of a swan. And uh, she has the Silmaril upon her breast, so it's like a swan with the fucking the jewel of Feanor on its breast. And she flies out and meets um, Eärendil, who's on voyage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she meets up with Eärendil on voyage and tells him what's going on. That the sons of Feanor came and they were slaughtering, looking for the uh, the Silmaril, and just you know the grief continues for these poor refugees. And he's moved to the point where his his goal now is no longer to find his parents, but he's absolutely set on finding Valinor because he knows at this point we've got to get the the Valar in on this because this this isn't gonna this isn't gonna end well for anyone. So yeah, and um, as the the sacking of the mouths of Syrian is happening. Uh, the Gil- Gilgalad, who's the eldest son of Fingon, who was killed in the Nirnaith, he then becomes, uh, after the fall of Gondolin, when Tuars, or, uh, Turgon is killed, he becomes the High King of the Noldor. Oh, so he's the current High King. He's the current High King of the Noldor, yeah. Gilgalad, okay. Yeah, and he's essentially the last High King of the Noldor. As we've right, right. Yeah. As we come to find. As we come to find in the Second Age here, coming up. But yeah, so uh, Kyrdan, Kyrdan the shipwright, and Gilgalad close send friends. Uh, close friends. They send uh, ships to aid the mouths of Syrian, but uh, it's essentially too late. Everyone. Right, they're they're close by. They're not in the same area in the mouth of Syrian that these refugees were, but they're they're relatively close by. So they tried to send ships up the coast to save them, and it, it was too late. Sons of Feanor just slaughtered, and that's when Elwing threw herself into the sea. Uh, but now that she's safely on board the Vingalot with, uh, excuse me, with Eärendil, mm-hmm. he is now set to try to find Valinor, but he can't find his way through these enchanted waters that are supposed to keep him from there. There's turbulence, there's darkness and fog, mm-hmm. but he finds that with Elwing and with the light from the Silmaril, that's it's you know like like Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, man. right? Exactly. <laughs> it's, like <laughs> it's like what guides him through, and apparently pierces through the magic veil, and they make it. Yeah, they actually make it on to Valinor on the ship called Vindal- Vingalot, which is made by who else but Kyrdan the Kyrdan shipwright. The it's apparently it's supposed course. to be like one of the best ships yeah. ever. And a side note, it is actually uh, Stephen Colbert owns a Tesla sports car, and he calls it Vingalot. <laughs> And uh, he did a really funny joke about, oh, he was talking about the Tesla, and he said, uh, my Tesla's called Vingalot. And he looks right at the camera, and he's like, if you understood that reference, I'm sorry you had such a hard time in high school. 
<laughs> yeah, so uh, Vingalot, the most awesome ship ever, makes it uh, all the way to to Valinor. Mm-hmm. And now you have both Arendil and Elwing. They are both half-elven and half-man here together out of love for each other. Mm-hmm. using And love of their people. And love of their people and using the Silmaril to guide their way back to Valinor here to try to plea with the Valar to intervene with the events going on in Middle-earth and save them from Melkor because they haven't been doing much throughout the First Age and there's mm-hmm. been all these battles and slaughters going on. And when they get there, uh, Eärendil is... Uh, he originally says, I'm going to be the only one to set foot on Valon- on the shores of Amman because I'm the only one that's going to take the wrath of the Valar if they're super pissed off that I'm here. Right, because anyone that makes it, they're supposed to get killed, Get right? killed, yeah, it's yeah. a death warrant. So well, he, there's wants a, her to, he wants her to live. Yeah, and there's a small crew uh, on the ship, too, that ends up <laughs> on Vingalot that stays harbored. There's a crew on Vingalot? Yeah, there's like three dudes also on the ship. Okay. <laughs> and they, um, they're, they have to stay. But Elwing refuses, and she uh, eventually follows Arendil. Yeah, she chooses to accompany him onto the shores, even though she knew it might mean her death. She wants to accompany her lover on this major, major journey. And thus, Eärendil becomes the first of all mortal men to set foot in Valinor. And he actually goes out to find the Valar. He travels into Valinor. Uh, Elwing actually ends up staying along the shores, and she travels down the shores and actually meets some of the elves. Yeah, she ends up in uh, El Quilande with the Teleri down there. Yeah, some of the elves that have been living peacefully and blissfully in Valinor since, what, the beginning of the First Age? Not even earlier than that. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, way early on. Way early on. In the years of the trees. Years of the trees. And uh, she tells them uh, her story, essentially, and they're moved and uh, uh, fascinated by what she has to say. Yeah, they fall in love with her, and they're absolutely moved and pitied by these stories of everything going on in Mm -hmm. Middle-earth. And while she's uh, enamoring these these elves with tales from far-off Middle-earth, Erendil finds his way to the Valar. Does he go to the Ring of Doom? He goes to the Tyrion first. Oh, he goes to the city of Tyrion. Because remember, it's at, uh, uh, they're having a festival. Um, Oh, another festival. They're having another festival, and it's the same festival that Melkor and Ongoliant came in during to kill the trees. Oh, is it that same It's the same festival. Oh, man. So he shows up and Tyrion's deserted because everyone's hanging out with the Valar right now. They're partying. Right. And the streets are deserted, and he walks through these streets uh, filled with diamond dust. That's how dope this city is, guys. It's There's diamond dust in the street. His cloak is covered in sparkly diamond dust. And he eventually uh, meets um, somebody perched up on... Uh, on one of the on one of the I think he's on like one of the walls of Tyrion or something like that, and he says, uh, you know, you'll hail Eärendil, um, and it's uh it's uh Yanwe, the herald of Manwe, who we've talked about before. Oh, really? Yanwe is the one that greets. Yeah, him? Yeah, Yanwe is the one that greets him. Yeah. So he's not an elf, but he is a uh, he's a Maiar. He's a Maiar. Yeah, he's uh the weapons expert of the Maiar. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And herald of Manwe. So he meets him and he takes him to the Ring of Doom where. They sort all this out. Yeah, Erendil lets forth his plea to the Valar uh, and asks for aid for men and elves in Middle-earth. So he's asking on behalf of both kin for both of their sorrows and not for his own sake. And for that reason, Manwe actually forbore the punishment of death because it was out of love for his people, all of the children of Mm -hmm. Ilvatar. And also Elwing was uh, out of love for her husband. 
Yeah, Elwing also out of out of love for mm-hmm. for someone else. And uh, so uh, there's a couple things that happens at this point. Uh, the Valar are moved to actually help the uh, the the struggling souls of Middle Earth, essentially, of all Beleriand. And uh, <coughs> another thing that happens is um, because Arendil and Elwing are both descended of a combination of elves, men, and Maiar, they are given the choice mm-hmm. to pick their kindreds. And all the sons of Arendil are able to do this. Yeah, so them and their family, their offspring, are given a special choice where they can actually choose whether to be a mortal man and go to whatever the fate of mortal men is after death. Or we don't know, yeah. Or they can be elven and mm-hmm. end up in, don't they end up in Valinor after their death? Right, in, in the Halls of Mandos, yeah. In the Halls of Mandos, yeah. So yeah. They, they get this choice. And uh, so our two sons of Arendil here... Um, Elrond and Elros. Of them, uh, Elros chooses to be m- uh, the likeness of man. Elrond goes on to be uh, Elven Warmaster, as we know. And then uh, Arendil, Elwing chooses to become uh, of elf kind, immortal. Mm-hmm. And Arendil, even though he really wants to be mortal, he wants to, because he identifies more with the House of Hador and his father's people. Mm-hmm. The fate of men is what he wants to be a part of. Right. But and uh, so, but he loves Elwing so much that he decides to be of elf kind with her. With her, do they stay in Valinor after that? No, remember they. Oh yes, they, they get come in, back. they get involved in the War of Wrath, right? Which is what we're about to get into. So, the uh, the War of Wrath is basically the war to end all wars. It's real crazy. We're not going to talk about it super super in depth, but we're going to give you a rundown of what happens. So, um. Essentially, all the elves, the the remaining Noldor in uh, in Valinor, all of the uh, the Vanyar, and um, they all muster, and they're gonna go, and all the Maiar, and all the Valar themselves, yeah, all just the entire hosts of Valinor, everybody, the hosts of Valinor is gonna leave, and they're gonna go kick ass in Beleriand. The uh, the Teleri originally refused to fight. In the war, because they're very still mad about the kinslaying, the first one. <laughs> That's right. The very first kinslaying. So they don't want to help the sons of Feanor, essentially. Um, so so they're like, fuck that. But they eventually uh, agree to ferry people over, but they never set foot on the shores. Of yeah, Bolivia. so they agree to ultimately help in a way, but they're not going to go for They're not going to gonna fight. legitimately fight in the war. Because, I mean, the sons of Feanor are all dicks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. And at that, at, at this, so the they... Uh, it's a huge siege of Angband. Um, Morgoth lets out his everything. H- yeah, I mean, this is his final defense. This is his final last stand. And he releases the winged dragons. For the first time. For the first time, which becomes a huge, huge problem. Right. That's, I mean, that's the f- your first stereotypical winged fire drake. Mm-hmm. And th- I mean, that's obviously a lot more of a problem than a grounded one. Mm-hmm. And, yes, although, I mean, the battle itself literally destroys the entirety of Beleriand. It right. sinks it. And uh, the leader of the dragons, the biggest one, and Caligan the Black, is slain by the flying ship. <laughs> That's right. Vingalot and Arendil come back. <clears throat> yeah, so Arendil's Ar- got the Silmaril up on his forehead, fucking flying on this ship that the Valar had made into this. They hallowed it, and they made it into this magical ship that can just fly in the air. So he flies over and uh, with the help of Throndor. So it's basically... Uh, Thorindor and the Eagles 
are fighting these winged dragons, and Arendil's there fucking helping them, and he's like in a flying the boat. Yeah, in a flying boat, and he kills uh, and Caligan the Black, whose whose uh, wingspan is is said to um, reach the peaks of the Thangaradrum, like it's that big. Like he blotted out the sun. Like it was. Yeah, he was huge. huge. He was uh, not just big, but he was a colossal sized dragon. Yeah, and he f- and uh, Arendil kills that motherfucker and he falls to the ground and shatters the peaks of the Thangaradrum. Yeah, there are three major peaks of Thangaradrum. They're like mountains made of slag. And They're huge. Th- his body itself is so huge that it falling down destroys Destroys mountains. them. And uh, eventually the Valar themselves wrestle their way into Angband. They get down to the throne room and uh, <coughs> Melkor is there and uh, they cut off his feet. Yeah, they cut his... Doesn't he plea, like, he one final time? He pleads for mercy. And as he pleads, they hew his they feet hew out. They hew his from feet out from underneath him. him so he can't move. And then they wrap him in that chain that Aule made, the Anginor, the great chain, and they wrap him up in this. They're like, you remember this shit, bitch? And they, <laughs> and they wrap him up in this chain. And then they uh, they break the iron crown and they shove it down of, upon his cr- uh, his neck like a collar. Oh yeah, they shove it over his head, down around his neck. Yeah, and uh, and they take the Silmarils out. Mm-hmm. And the Silmarils are entrusted to Ianwe, and um, yeah, and he he gr- he takes them from there on. So that's basically the end of Melkor as we know it. Right. Yeah, and they cast him through. The oh, this is a real cool shit too. They cast him through the door of night out into the void, and they set Eärendil and uh, Vingalot to watch with the, the Silmaril on his with brow. With the Silmaril upon his brow, and um, uh, there's actually a point when Madros and Maglor see the star rise in the sky. They say, "Surely now that is a Silmaril that shines upon uh, uh, in the sky." Like, they know it right away. They're like, yeah, right. that's a Silmaril up there. And so this new star that r- arises in the sky is uh, is actually Eärendil. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And, okay. Oh, here's a great ter- Third Age tri- tie-in. So the um, the vial of Galadriel from the from the movie slash the, you know, the Lord of the Rings is uh, is said to give off the light of Eärendil, um, which is the star which is actually a Silmaril. Right. So the light of the vial... Is the light of the is trees. Is the light of the trees, essentially. Mm-hmm. And what do you say to activate that vial? Joel, I'll give you 50 bucks right now if you can tell me what you say to light up the vial. Don't do not do this to me. <laughs> I, you know I wouldn't be able to pronounce it even if I remembered it. So it's Aya Eärendil, Elenon on Kalima, which means Hail Eärendil, brightest of stars. And that's what you say, and it lights up. Boom! With the light of the summer yeah. yeah. So that's why he gets his name uh, that references him as like a, a star. Mm-hmm. He is the bright. He's the star of high hope because after this, he literally is him in, in his boat with a Silmaril. He is a star that flies over sky, mm-hmm. guarding basically night from the return of, of Morgoth. Of Morgoth. And he's always up there. That's what's really cool about Elrond, who is a character. Right. In, uh, think yeah. about think about Arendil's kids now. Yeah. Because uh-huh. he had his one kid who decided to be man, and he goes on to be the first king of Numenor, right? Right. Right. And so they go through lines and lines and lines and lineages and generations and generations. And I mean, Numenor falls and ends by the time the Third Age comes around. But you've still got Elrond, <laughs> who's like not only like the great 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 uncle of 
of uh, of Aragorn. Of Aragorn, but he could look into the sky. I think you were the one that, that pointed this out when yeah. we were just laughing about it. Yeah, yeah. Look up into the sky. There's my father up there, guys. <laughs> you want to meet my dad? He's right up in the sky. See that star flying by? That's my father. Yeah, he's flying in a boat. <laughs> flying in his magic boat, you know, like... <laughs> How's what's your dad like, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but that uh, that's the story of Erendil, guys. That pretty much wraps up the first stage. Yeah. That wraps up the first stage in the War of Wrath and the Fall of Melkor. Um so we hope you guys uh, really enjoyed all of this so far. These were some of our favorite stories. Right. And these are all like I said, guys, all in the Silmarillion. So just pick up that book. I'm looking at it right now. How many pages is it, Joel? Let's look. Let's look. The Silmarillion is, let's see, there's a lot of stuff in the back. Yeah, there's a lot of diagrams and such, which are also one of the biggest parts of the Silmarillion that I love. The diagrams and the maps that they give you are super relevant and useful. It's 304 pages, guys. And And that includes not only the Quintus Silmarillion, but a little bit of extra stories to fill in the blanks. It's literally 10,000 years of history. In a single 300 pages. It's so, awesome. So pick it up, read it. Oh, it's the greatest book, guys. But, so, uh, so yeah, so that pretty much, that covers pretty much actually most of the content that we wanted to cover for our first season. Yeah, and next uh, next episode is going to be a little fun one just for me and Joel. We've been, uh, we've been leading up to this since episode one. Since episode one, guys. We've mentioned this character. In almost. In almost every episode, if not every episode, because he's the most important supporting character in all of Tolkien. And we're, we're making this decision, by the way. We're making this by decision. Our reckoning. By our reckoning, he is the most important supporting character in all of Tolkien, and that is Círdan, the tuned. mother friggin' shipwright. And we're going to be talking about him the next episode. Yeah, that's, that's what we're going to cover. We're finally <laughs> going to tell you. If you haven't already gathered who he is, we're going to tell you exactly who he is and what he's been doing. But he's pretty instrumental he is in the middle of like everything everything that happens. everything guys and we're gonna we're gonna get all into it tomorrow uh tomorrow tomorrow in the ne- <laughs> next tomorrow time. in the next episode guys um so what we got planned for you now we got a little bit planned for the end here guys because that was a short one so um we're gonna do this thing uh it's a, it's a little game that me and joel came up with called uh tolkien brawl and uh it's gonna it's gonna require some uh, input from you guys so it's basically like a hypothetical fight. So what we basically did is we have a bunch of character cards, a bunch of modifier cards, and a bunch of place cards. So we draw a place card, we draw two characters, and two modifiers, and we argue about who would win this fight. And um, it's just a little fun game we're going to try out. And uh, and then uh, essentially... Yeah, so each of us are going to make an argument for whatever we randomly draw, right? Right. And so, yeah, we're just going to get these random subject cards. and We we're have gonna, no idea. We have no idea. We're going to try to come up with a defense for them. And we're going to try to let you guys decide who you think would ultimately win. Yeah. So, so let, let's do it here, let's Joel. Give it a, we're going to give these cards a little bit of a shuffle. A little bit of, little bit of foley. A little bit of foley there. <laughs> I'm just going to do it with my lips. Shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. Oh, fuck me. Oh, you dropped the cards. So we'll draw a place first, if I can get my And these are all straight. different characters, all different places from ages one through three. So that's modifiers. It's a, it's that's a real... And that's places. Yeah, okay. and these are... It could be a good character versus a good character, evil character versus evil character. Yeah, we just tried to come up with a handful of characters, a handful of modifiers, like like weapons or powers or something. Yeah. And then just and a, some funny ones. a handful of, of places where this fight could happen. And our place this time... What is it? It is 
I don't like that one. We're going to choose another <laughs> What was we it? We wanted to use the... Oh, on the Bridge of Khazad-dûm. There oh, we go. Okay. Here in, we go. In Moria. Here in we go. Moria, Bridge of Khazad-dûm. That's pretty good. Fabled uh, fight of uh, the, the Balrog, the Durin's Bane and Gandalf. Right, that's where Gandalf falls. Let's let's see. I'm going to draw one and let's see. Take that one. All right, so this battle is on the Bridge of Khazad-dûm in Moria. <laughs> and my character, you're going to hate me, is Turin Turambar. Oh, no. And my modifier is having just eaten four pieces of Lambeth bread. <laughs> <laughs> Which Turin did, remember, in the story. He was w- the first man to ever be gifted uh, Lambeth bread. I don't think he ate four pieces. I don't know if he ate four of them. Pepin, Pepin may have got everyone on that. So, okay, mine is um, mine's a little impractical here. Okay. Mine is an army of Easterlings. Okay. <laughs> an army of Easterlings and, oh, no... And Finrod Felagon swore an oath to to you. So it's an army of orcs, or excuse me, an army of Easterlings plus the aid of the aid of Finrod Felagon, which means you're going to get magic in there. <laughs> so I don't know. This is going to be interesting. Um, all right. Well, <laughs> well, I think Turin should win, uh, because he has Gorthang. And he just ate a ton of Lambeth bread, so he's got energy to go for days and days and days of fighting an entire army of Easterlings. I'm going to go with that. And I mean, you do got a good point. Uh, if he has, in uh, I would I would say he 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 probably wouldn't win, except in the very place where we're arguing. Yeah, because we got to take into account the Bridge of Khazad yeah, Doom. It's single file. It's single file. It was literally designed by the dwarves, so you could pick people off um, if they were coming in. They had to come in single file. Yeah. So. These this having army of Turin being the one man there standing there with that sword with trying gr- to defend. Oh my God! It yeah. w- it would last for days, and there would be just bodies falling into the falling. into the thing. Oh yeah! But here's the thing. <laughs> okay, let's let's hear what you've got. I got an army of Easterlings, which is an indeterminate amount of Easterlings. <laughs> okay. So, um, but also Finrod Felagun swore an oath, and here's the thing: Finrod has never met Turin. This is true. So they don't know each other, right? Okay. I, I mean, th- I don't know why I'm saying that, but, like, they don't know each other. Okay? I don't know. Okay. So Finrod's going to have no problem if he, in fact, swore an, o- an oath to these Oh, so you're just saying that he has nothing for Turin. Like, he doesn't have a friendship that right. would stop him. Right. And they've never met each other. So, like, he's like, why? Okay. No reason not to kill him? I'll help these. Yeah. No reason not to kill him is essentially. <laughs> and uh, he's got magic on his side. And um, he can change... Like, how do you know he couldn't just like, what if, what if fucking Finrod took his 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 face shaping magic and just turned himself into like an orc? And no, into fucking Neonor. Or, uh, I'm sorry, he could change. He could, he could change be- become himself Neonor into and be one like of the Easterlings that comes on the bridge, and then I don't know, do the thing he does in the dungeons of Syrian where he breaks forth and wrestles you naked. Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, this just got so much better. He did. I gotta say, I mean, he did kill a, a werewolf, werewolf naked. while naked. Yeah. yeah. The only character who ever did But the were- the werewolf was not wielding Gorthang. <sighs> mm. I don't know, guys. I think this is a tough one. And we're gonna throw it uh we're gonna throw it out to you guys. So you, you hit us up on Twitter or Facebook and do hashtag Tolkien Brawl and we're gonna kinda tally these uh these up and uh hit us up with your, your input, guys. Uh <laughs> who um, do you think would win? Who do you think would win this epic fight of Turin at the Bridge of Casadum? Having just been jacked up on Lambus bread, 
He ate the nu- he ate four, which is like enough to feed an tw- army, like twenty people, <laughs> and um and against an army of Easterlings marching single file over the bridge of Kazadum, but also having had an oath sworn to them by Finrod Felagund, who killed a werewolf naked. So tell us what you think, guys. Tell us what you think. Hit us up. We hope you guys have had fun this episode. Uh, we'll see you next time. And as always, keep on talking. Keep on talking. Aure and Tuluba.